0: and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right, we'll continue with Not All the Blood of Beast.
1: Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name And richer blood than they. My faith would lay its hand. On that dear head of thine. While as a penitent I stand. And there confess my sin. My soul looks back to see. The burden thou didst bear, when hanging on the cursed tree, I know my guilt was there. Believing, I rejoice to see the curse removed. We bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing
0: his bleeding love. We'll continue with the uh, catechism and Bible memory work from the table of duties. This is the Bible for two employees, and uh, it should be employers, uh, not employees, employers. These are two different things. Employers and supervisors. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Ephesians 6, 9. All right. And uh, we'll continue with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly father, through Jesus Christ, your dear son, The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so on that hymn of the month, Not All the Blood of Beasts, I uh, just was going to point out a few things here. Ma- mainly that really what this hymn is, and we're going to be singing this hymn throughout the Lent and midweeks, uh, obviously throughout the rest of this month, But mainly what this hymn is, is a theology of the Old Testament, right? So, especially, specifically the Old Testament sacrificial system. So, in the Old Testament, you have this sacrificial system, you're well aware, where the Israelites were commanded by Moses to uh, uh, slay animals on an altar for the forgiveness of their sins. And I think you know, someone coming into Christianity for the first time, or maybe someone who's been a Christian but has never really studied the Bible too deeply, um, sometimes the Old Testament can be daunting simply because stuff like that doesn't make sense, right? Like when, when the gospel is preached to someone in a, you know, a simplistic way, and that's not a bad thing, but when the gospel is preached in just kind of a basic way, you normally don't go into detail about why animals in the Old Testament were sacrificed, right? You talk about Jesus dying on the cross for sins and what that means. And when we have uh, Jesus dying on the cross for sins, that's all great. But the issue is that about three-fourths of the Bible, right, somewhere in here, is, you know, about two-thirds to three-fourths of the Bible is the Old Testament, (laughs) right? And so, um, if this is the Christian book of Scripture, if this is the Holy Bible, the Holy Book, right, then at some point we have to explain, okay, what's this, what's going on in the Old Testament, which, you know, in this Bible study we've been doing for the last three years. But, Um, obviously to someone who's maybe a little bit newer to the faith or something like that, um, one of the main questions that might arise is, what's up with this, this animal sacrifice thing, right? And how come that was replaced? And how come we don't do that anymore? And why did that need to happen in the first place? And all these types of things, right? And this hymn does a great job of showing and giving a theology of, kind of why that took place and how it was foreshadowing Jesus, right? And what this hymn does is it compares the blood of the animals to the blood of Jesus, right? This not all the blood of beasts, right? So um, those first two stanzas, right? Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. In other words, the animal sacrifice was temporary, right? It could not finally give peace, And then we get stanza two, which gives us the answer. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. And the fact that Christ is pictured as the lamb of God, right, means that he is this perfect lamb, the one that all these other lambs were pointing forward to. And uh, notice, like, all of these things is comparing Christ back to those sacrifices, right? That he takes all of our sins away, not just a temporary sacrifice, right? Not just specific small sins, but all of our sins away, and it's a sacrifice of nobler name, right? And and richer blood than they. I love that line. And richer blood than they. So, um, the the fate the hymn keeps going obviously, but uh, one of the things that we'll be discussing in the Lenten midweeks a lot is what's the connection between the Old and New Testament, right? Because that's what, um. Hebrews is trying to do is talk to people who are very familiar with the Old Testament and explain the New Testament in light of that, right? So, all right. Um, Let's move on then to the book of Lamentations, unless there's any comments on that. All right, so we started the book of Lamentations last week, and... Just by way of review, the author of Lamentations, we said, is Jeremiah. It was written at about 587 B.C., which the, the reason you need to know that is because that is when the destruction of the temple happened. And the whole book is about the destruction of the temple. The whole book is lamenting. It's a la- a lament. It's a lamentations lamenting over the destruction of the temple. The book is made up of For the most part, acrostic poems. So remember, acrostic poems are um, poems where every verse of the poem begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So um, y'all don't know the Hebrew alphabet, but if it was English, right, it'd be like verse one begins with the letter A, right? So maybe it begins with the word apple, right? Uh, Verse... Verse 2 begins with the letter B, verse 3 begins with the letter C, so on and so forth. And it goes through the whole alphabet. What's
2: the significance
0: of that? Um, I'll get there in one second. So, just by way of quick review, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are acrostic poems. Chapter 3 is special because it has three verses per letter. Right, so the Hebrew alphabet's 22 letters. Um, the Hebrew alphabet's 22 letters, and ver- chapters 1 and 2 and 4 have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 verses because it's got three verses per letter. Chapter 5 is different in that it's not an acrostic, it doesn't have that alphabet structure, but it still has 22 verses. So it still has the same number of verses as the um, other chapters, as the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The significance of that is that we have order in the midst of chaos, right? I I think this is the main significance, and this is kind of what we were talking about last week mostly, is that this um, type of prayer of lament this um, way of praying to God and being honest with him and bringing our complaints to him is a way to order, orderly uh, give our thoughts and process our thoughts about something traumatic to God, right? And this is where we got into all these discussions last week of um, how modern people try and deal with hard, stressful things in their life. And a lot of it is substitution for things that Christianity provides, right? And one of the things Christianity provides is prayer, and specifically in this case, prayers of lament. Prayers where we can say to God, this sucks. I don't know why this is happening. Why are you going to keep letting this happen? Um, Help me fix it, right? Please fix it. And uh, these, these are difficult, hard, but also very um, important prayers. And we, we need to be able to process our emotions like that. But what we don't want to do is process our emotions like that in a way that's chaotic. right? And, and you probably have seen this in, in people before, that some people, when they go through difficult things, just completely fall apart. Right? And they don't kind of find a way to orderly process those things. Some people, when they go through difficult things, um, are able to process them through prayer and through the support of friends and family and, and other such things. And when they are able to put order, even in the midst of stress, order in the midst of chaos, they come out stronger on the other side. Right. And so, this is, I think, one of the things that's going on here with the acrostic poems is that Jeremiah is taking something very, very difficult and putting it in an orderly way to God. And um, that's not, I I don't mean to put this totally in psychological terms, but it is um, the word psychology, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, means soul study, right? So for someone's soul, it is, I think, very important to be able to do such a thing. All right. Yeah, Steve.
2: <clears throat> uh, if, you re- if you look at Psalm 119, each one of the main headings. Yeah. Of the alphabet, Psalm 119 is
0: also an acrostic. And, acrostic,
2: yeah. you know, and if you want to see what the actual words are and the little symbols uh, for each letter of the alphabet, you can look there. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah, most of your uh, Psalm 119s in your Bibles will probably have headings that have the Hebrew um, letters because Psalm 119 is a much larger acrostic in that um, it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, so it's got 22 sections, and each of those sections, the verses begin with that letter. Yeah,
2: I've been there told that it was used so they could memorize it easier because
0: they, they knew the alphabet. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it yeah. was it it helps in memory um, to, to do such a thing, right? In the same way that we would um, we use mnemonic devices to memorize mm-hmm. things today still. Yep. All right. Good connection there. All right. So... Um, that's kind of our review from last week. Uh, what we didn't really start talking about too much last week, um, maybe a little bit, was some of the main themes. Uh, the first one is uh, the theme of grief and shame. So the word lamentations, where we get the word or the word lament, right? Um, what laments traditionally are, what the word means is funeral songs. And so one of the things that's going on here really is a type of grief, right? And it's not grief over a specific person who has passed away, like we would normally think of grief, but it is grief over the death of Jerusalem, right? The death of the capital city. And if you think about the kind of history, right, this is uh, why it's important that we've studied everything that we've studied up to this point think about the history of this place right this was go, go way back to the beginning right abraham was promised this this land his it, it they almost lost it right due to famine they ended up in egypt they escaped from egypt they got back to the land right after wandering in the wilderness and then Um, finally, under King David, they took this city, right? And then under King Solomon, they built this temple. And God's kingdom seemed to be expanding. But then through the succession of a bunch of terrible kings with a few good ones, this city has now been lost via... God's punishment to their enemies. And it's it's been a whirlwind of, of Old Testament history, right? But if you kind of just keep that bigger perspective in mind, this temple was precious to them, right? And despite their unfaithfulness, and despite the fact that they were warned again and again and again, the faithful people, right, um, Especially people like Jeremiah, the prophets who have been preaching and preaching that we're going to lose this temple if we don't repent. To see it destroyed and to see the, de- the destruction of family and friends. And remember the destruction of the temple, right? How horrific it is. It's not just about the building, right? I mean, families were separated from one another. People were killed. The city was sieged, right? People lived in poverty, Uh, that they were taken away to Babylon and lived in in shame, right? This this was a terrible event that happened, right? And we can look back and we can say, well, they deserved it, which is true according to God, right? But that doesn't take away from the fact that it was terrible, right? Um, Like God himself does not, is slow to anger and does not want to have to punish people, right? And so it's okay for us to also say, like, we don't need to be so uh, harsh that we say, well, you know, they deserved it. I mean, in one sense, yes, of course they did. But in another sense, right, even God himself did not want to have to punish this harshly. And and yet he had to. All right, so we're dealing with that grief and, and that shame uh, that comes with an event like that. And um, I, th- I think that's important for us to deal with because if we can kind of see how some, a faithful person like Jeremiah deals with that level of grief and shame, of the shame that knowing that their sins caused this and the grief of losing what they lost, then on a much smaller level, we can it can help us to deal with our grief when we lose a loved one or when we lose something that's important to us or when we're persecuted. And it can help us deal with the shame of our own sin, right? So um, that's a theme to keep in mind here. Going along with that, another theme of the book is just wrath, right? We, um, Jeremiah recognizes that God is – that despite the, the level of horror that he talks about in the book of Lamentations, he recognizes God's justice. Right? And we always have to do the same too. We can't ever pretend like we deserve anything but God's wrath. Right? Another theme to look for is the uh, suffering servant. Right, If we ever read the Old Testament and don't see Jesus, we're probably reading it wrong. And um, especially right in the middle of Lamentations, there are some beautiful Messianic promises we're going to look at. And he picks up... Um, on a very similar theme of Isaiah in the servant songs that there is a person in the midst of this caught up in the midst of this punishment of God that bears the punishment and that is a faithful servant of, of God. And of course that's, that's Christ. Okay. Um, another theme to kind of look for is, uh, The past versus the present. And I think this one is especially important for us in our day because one of the things Jeremiah does is he reminisces. He reminisces on how good things used to be in Jerusalem. And then he compares that to how bad things are now. And there is a place where that is good and right and salutary. Um, there's also a, a time when that can become unhelpful. right? And this is something just for us to consider and think about uh, in our own day because I, I hear a lot of people today talking about how good the good old days used to be. Right? They're the good old days. They're not the bad old days. Right? Um and that can be helpful, and it can be unhelpful. It can be helpful if it motivates us to, to do something better today. It can be unhelpful if we're just trying to um, return to something that cannot exist anymore, right? And that we're not dealing with our own current problems, right? So we always have to keep those things in balance. But uh, Jeremiah deals with this a little bit, Okay. Um, and then finally, um, the last thing we'll just – the last theme we'll mention here to be on the lookout for is communal prayer. That um, one – the thing about lament, the the book of Lamentations, and, so, and sometimes um, lament in general, uh, but also other prayers too, is that it's not just – Jeremiah who's kind of praying this on his own, right? He's praying it with the community. And he's he's speaking in often in the first person plural, right? Talking talking about we and us. And that is important for us as well, I think, that when bad things happen, we come together to pray. Right? And the same thing goes the other direction too, that when we worship and praise the Lord, that we pray communally, right? That when we come together and worship every Sunday, we praise God with one voice, right? I think there was some, um, I think there's like a some hymnal supplement that was pretty popular there for a while back in the, I think in like the 80s and 90s, it was called like with one voice, right? So um, but this is the idea of communal prayer, right? And especially the last um, – these are kind of going in order of the book. Um, we'll talk about the outline here in just a second. But um, these, these, these are some general themes to keep in mind from the book, and I think they're also kind of helpful applications looking, looking to our own lives as well. All right, any questions on that, the themes of the book? All right, now let's get into some of the details of the book. So first, a general outline. Um, The outline's super easy because it's just one section per chapter, right? One one chapter is is its own kind of thing. The the poems don't really run together, per se. They're kind of standalone as their own poems. So you can just take a chapter and look at it individually. Um, So the first poem is about Lady Zion, and... This is where this poem, chapter one, is where Jerusalem is pictured as this lady. Um, We'll call her Lady Zion. And she um, basically, her husband leaves her and her children die. Right. This Mm -hmm. is kind of the uh, image that is used for what's happened to Jerusalem. Okay. Chapter two is about it's a poem about God's justice. All right. This is where Jeremiah reflects that um, just wrath, and you can see kind of these themes here, right? That God's wrath is just, and the wrath that He's He's given here is just. And then chapter three uh, is We'll call it the, this is the suffering servant. Chap, poem. And this is about God's, not the suffering servant, the suffering servant. Uh, This is about God's servant who's suffering these things. And I kind of paired these themes with each chapter, right? So you can kind of see that together. Uh, Chapter four uh, reflects... Uh, specifically on the siege of Jerusalem, right? What it, what it was like, what it looked like. And this is where Jeremiah kind of compares what Jerusalem used to look like to what it looks like during the siege. And then um, five is uh, specifically a communal lament, right? Where the whole community laments together. So you can see all those those themes kind of pairing up with those different chapters. All right. Any questions on the theme or outline? All right. Let's uh, then dive into the text. So, um, if you are following along in your Bibles, Lamentations is right after the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah should be pretty easy to find because it's like 50 chapters long. So
1: um,
0: 52. So you, you should be able to find Lamentations right after that. And and, if, and then it's before Ezekiel. So sandwiched between Jeremiah and Ezekiel is Lamentations. All right. So we'll just uh, work our way through the, these passages. So first from the poem on Lady Zion uh, versus just the first two verses of the book. Chapter one, verses one to two. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. how has she become tributary? So, oh, let me, uh, that's, for, that was just first one. She weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Okay, so uh, we again get this city that is pictured as this widow, right? Her her husband has died. And notice we, we also get a little bit of this past and present thing because she's compared as this widow that used to be great, right, among the nations and princess among the provinces, and now she's become a tributary. And there's a lot going on here um, because it, we're talking also about the relationship of Judah and the other nations. And the word tributary there is interesting, right? Because remember kind of the what partly what led to the downfall of Jerusalem is them becoming a vassal state of a place like Babylon, first Assyria and then Babylon. And they also flirted with Egypt there for a while and, and other nations, right? And they would pay tributaries to uh, those those nations. And God told them not to, right? God told them don't get involved with those other nations. But they did, and they became these va- this vassal state. And um, uh, the the one who used to be this great power, right? If you think back to Solomon's kingdom or you think back to the conquest of Joshua, they used to be this power, right, who was great and pure, right? They weren't involved in the other nations. They were their own. They escaped from Egypt, right? They were they were independent, and now they've become this tributary. And the other thing that that comes uh, – that that, that that brings to mind is this uh, theme we've seen over and over again of how – Idolatry and this whole poem is like this equals adultery, right? That the Lord had uh, the Lord is the bridegroom of His church, and in the Old Testament, the that God had made a basically a marriage covenant with Israel, with Judah, right? And what they did when they started flirting with other nations. And getting involved with these other nations, and especially um, in their worship, right, in worshiping the bell, bells and building false temples and building high places uh, to sacrifice to the astro and astroth. When they did these things, they were committing adultery, right? They were, and and you can hear here um, that in verse two, Jeremiah. Uh, is a little bit nice in the way he does this, but he basically, this is very similar to Jesus and the woman at the well, right? That he insinuates that he knows that she is an adulterer, right? Because what does he say? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, mm-hmm. there is no one to comfort her, right? So in the same way with, when Jesus said to the, the, the woman at the well, says... Well, you've had seven husbands, none of them here, right? That um, it, it's insinuating that she that she's an adulterer, and and this is what uh, J- Jerusalem is pictured as as an adulterous nation, right? That is an adulterous nation who's cheated on her husband, right? But now, um, and, but notice there what he says, right? There's not none to comfort her, right? So this is what happens. Um, and this is what happens in real marriages too when there's a case of adultery is that, you know, say, say the woman finds some other guy she wants to be with, and um, then, you know, she goes and, and cheats on her husband, and then uh, does that second husband stick around and take care of her? Most of the time, not, right? Because it was all for pleasure right it was all for temporary gain right it wasn't for um it, it wasn't it wasn't to, uh for for something permanent and lasting and a covenant right and so judah's um getting together with these foreign nations and worshipping their gods it was for temporary gain right they thought oh maybe it'll help us grow the crops this year maybe it'll help us um not get involved in a war this year, you know, whatever their reasons were at the time, peer pressure, whatever it was, right? It was for a temporary pleasure. But now is Babylon gonna take care of Judah? Is Egypt gonna take care of Judah? Of course not, right? And um, where does that leave the relationship with God and his people, right? Where does that leave the relationship of the husband and wife, it leaves it in shambles. And so that's what they're dealing with here. Okay. Um, So you can go and read uh, the rest of that with that kind of um, mindset or with that kind of background, you can read the rest of that poem. But let's move on to the next uh, key passage. We'll just pick a couple (coughs) verses out of each poem here. So chapter two, um, I picked out three different verses from throughout the poem, to kind of uh, try and bring this idea together of God's justice. And um, going back to the idea of lament, Jeremiah is very clear here that God is the one who's causing this to happen and that it sucks, right? So this is one of the main things to take away from the idea of lament excuse me, is that you can be completely honest with God, right? There's no, it's no holds bar, right? You don't have to sit, God knows how you feel. You don't have to sit there and be nice because you're saying a pious prayer, right? So listen to some of the things Jeremiah says. The Lord was an enemy, he hath swallowed up Israel. This is verse five, by the way, chapter two, verse five. The Lord was an enemy, he hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up all her palaces, he hath destroyed his strongholds, and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. All right, um, and I'm actually going to read verse six too. He hath violently taken away his tabernacle, as if it were of a garden. He hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feast and Sabbath to Sabbath to be forgotten in Zion, and hath despised. In the indignation of his anger, the king and the priest. Right, so it's like he's uh, ripping weeds out of a garden. Right, that's that's what Jeremiah says. Which, you, if you've ever ripped weeds out of a garden, right, you're not you're not you don't try and be gentle with them. Right, you try and get get them up from the roots. Um, verses verse 14, the thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee. And they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. So he says, Jeremiah says here about what the prophets um, have experienced, right? That the prophets have seen uh, these things that have caused God to do this and have seen... uh, for God, false burdens, and causes of banishment, that the prophets are well aware of this. And that's something I wanted to point out, that um, just because someone is aware of what's happening and preaching about it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be repentance, right? And, And this is what we've seen over and over again in the prophets is that they've preached and preached, and the people refuse to repent, right? So... Um, it's always a a strict warning to us that we we must heed the warnings that we're given, okay? And then verse 17, the Lord hath done that which he had devised, he hath fulfilled his word that he had commanded in the days of old, he hath thrown down and hath not pitied, and he hath caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee, he hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. right, so again, that the Lord is the one who has caused this punishment. And Jeremiah's, uh, I mean, I just recognize Jeremiah is praying this to the Lord, right? He's saying to the Lord, um, and it, in a way, right, it's, it's very interesting because he, he prays this to the Lord, but he almost distances the Lord from himself, right? He says, he's praying to God and he says, yeah, you know, God, God did this thing, right? Um, the Lord did this thing. He doesn't even say you, right, um, all the time. He, he just says to the Lord, the Lord did this, right? And in a way that shows his um, anger and his, his being upset with, with what's happened, right? Um, but yet at the same time, he recognizes that the Lord did what he said he was going to do, right? And so we have this theme of God's justice, right? That, that the Lord is doing that, which had to be done. And he's raising up the enemies of Judah to punish Judah. And as we've seen in the other prophets, Babylon's going to get their own too, eventually, right? But that's in God's divine plan. And Jeremiah recognizes that God's divine plan is much bigger than his. But in the meantime, while he's experiencing this horror, he laments. All right, yeah, Steve.
2: In the West. Section of 17 says he exalted the horn of your foes, mm-hmm. and as we read other parts in here, explain what horn means. I think it means power.
0: Yeah, so this is like a um, the horn is a symbol of triumph and safety, right? So it's used a couple different ways in the scriptures. Um, but the truck, like a horn, can, can be like a trumpet, right? And like you uh, blow the horn of, of salvation, right? So um, that can be like a, a triumph horn, right? And so he raises up the horn of the enemies, which means the enemies are going to triumph over them. I think that's really the case here. Um, horn can also be safety that you would grab onto something that's a horn, right? And um, but that also kind of indicates triumph, right that you've that you've gotten to the place of safety. And so um he set up the horn of the the enemies, uh, which means he set up the enemies to be able to be secure there. All right. So, any other uh, comments on chapter two? All right, chapter three. Uh, We'll look at verses 1 through 3. And this is Jeremiah speaking, but it's very messianic as well. right? This is the suffering servant. I am the man that hath seen the affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. So you can read the rest of this. Poem thinking of this as Christ, right? That what does God do? He sends, the father sends his son into darkness, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He sends him to the point of death and darkness and he is afflicted by the rod of his wrath, right? This is very similar to Isaiah 53, suffering servant language, um, that the servant of God has um, borne the wrath of the, of the just god right and you can see how chapter two does lead into chapter three here is that the just god's wrath is carried out on this servant all right this one man and it's also no coincidence by the way that in the outline the 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 messianic prophecy is right in the center of the book right you got one two on either side four five on either side chapter three right in the center of the book is the messianic prophecy and also remember when we talked about the poems, right? The chapter 3 is the longest chapter. You get 66 verses, you get a tr- a, a trinity of the acrostic, right? You get um because you have 3 3 verses per letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Right? So it's a very um poetic and and beautiful way to display Christ in the midst of the book and Christ in the midst in the middle of the suffering. Right, that you have this godly image of the suffering servant right um, as, as the central focus of the entire book. Right? So I, I think that's, that's just beautiful. All right. Any questions on that? All right. Chapter uh, 4, um, verses 1 through 8. So this is uh, a little bit longer of a passage here. Um, But this is just to describe the siege that's going on. And notice how he'll compare kind of the past and and present here. How has the gold become dim? How has the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out on the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion comparable to fine gold. How are they esteemed as earthen pitchers? The work of the hands of the potter. Even the sea monsters draw out the breast; they give suck to their young ones. The daughter of my people is become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. Um, I got a story for that. Okay, the tongue of the sucking child cleaveth to the roof of the mouth of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. They did they that did free, feed delicately and are desolate in the streets. They that were brought up in scarlet embraced dunghills. For, their, for the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment, and no hand stayed on her. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. Their polishing was of sapphire. Their visage was is blacker than a coal they are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It is It is become like a stick. Now, I can go on, but what's being described here is the uh, destruction that has come upon Jerusalem, right? And what he's saying is all these images of what it used to be like versus what it is now, right? So he says the sons of Zion used to be like, Fine gold, but now they're thrown out like useless stone, right? Um, or and then we get this thing about the sea monsters, right? So the sea monsters are these kind of enemies, right? Um, these great sea evil sea creatures, and um, they get to feed their young, right? And the the um, there's this connection of the sea monsters in the scriptures with the uh, wicked kings, right? Of like Pharaoh and uh, the king, the kings of Babylon. Um, oftentimes, the scriptures will, uh, the prophets will use uh, the, the the deep sea creatures uh, to describe the wicked kings of other nations. And so, what he's Jeremiah is saying here is that these wicked sea creatures, these wicked kings, they get to reproduce. Right, but the children of Zion, right, uh, who used uh, to to feed delicately, chapter five, now they they don't get to feed, right? the the um the nursing is not there. Their tongues are stuck to the roof of their mouth, he says, right? Now, um, I I have a funny story about verse three, so, um that the the wicked the cruel are like ostriches in the wilderness um have any of you been to that those safari those drive through safaris in, in Como or in uh West Tennessee you know what the the most annoying animal is ostrich. the ostrich right cuz they want to get right in your window. they get right in the window and they peck at you really hard right <laughs> yeah. and and they obviously knew that, right? Jeremiah knew that about ostriches because he's like, they're cruel like ostriches in the wilderness, right? Um, that's exactly how they are though. They, they just, anyway, okay. I thought that was hilarious. Um, so anyway, uh, you can go on there. But the, I, again, the idea there is that the people um, who used to have all these things, they used to feed delicately, they used to walk on streets of gold, right? That they've become uh, totally uh, impoverished, right? They're like stones. They have nothing to eat, and they have nothing valuable anymore, right? This is what the siege looked like. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, just very next line, it talks
2: about with their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children, became their food with my people.
0: Yeah, it's a reference to child sacrifice, which they embraced.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So. Yep. Yeah, the, the imagery in this chapter is um, very powerful, right? All right, let's just uh, finish up here with this final um, chapter 5. Verses uh, 10 through 22, and this is about the uh, this is the the communal lament. So notice this is in the uh, first person plural for the most part. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women of, in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. Princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of the elders were not honored. And this is um what's interesting, by the way, just as I read this is um, as we get towards the end of the book, we had really powerful images in chapter four, but this gets much more straightforward, right? This is just kind of telling you what happened. So again, that honesty aspect of lament. They took the young men to the grind and the children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us, that we have sinned for this our heart is faint for these things our eyes are dim because of the mountain of zion which is desolate the foxes walk upon it thou o lord remainest forever thy throne from generation to generation wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time turn thou us unto thee o lord that we and we shall be turned renew our days as of old but thou hast utterly rejected us Thou art very wroth against us. Okay, so the thing I want to end on is that the book ends with a paradox, right? Jeremiah, at the same time, confesses their sin, right? He says, we have sinned, and we have justly deserved this. And he says um, very clearly, thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation, Right? He recognizes that God is eternal that God is merciful <coughs> excuse me that this is in God's divine plan but at the same time he still ends on a word of lament right the final verse verse 22 but thou hast utterly rejected us thou art very wroth against us and what he says there is basically um, I don't know I don't know where where this leaves us right I don't know where why this has happened, right? Um, What he's saying is, I know that you have a plan. I know that you're good. I know that you're eternal, but you've rejected us. And there's kind of a big question mark, right? Right at the end there. Um, But I think that's, that's good because sometimes that's how our prayers end, right? Sometimes we don't know like how things are gonna work out in the moment, right? And when Jeremiah finishes writing, this poem he doesn't know he doesn't know how things are going to work out he knows they are he just doesn't know how right and why they are where they are and so i think that's a good um lesson for us as well all right i think it's time to end in a word of prayer and uh go baptize a, a child which will be much more joyous than the book of lamentations but that's how it goes all right Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that you have given us the gift of prayer that we could lament to you our sorrows and our sufferings. And we pray that you would help us to be uh, like Jeremiah, to recognize Christ in the center of all things, and to uh, pray honestly to you in the midst of suffering. We thank you for this day and we pray that you would bless our worship today in spirit and in truth. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.